You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. You can't see my face because this is radio. <laughs> I'm thoroughly disappointed. Shit. This is, um, I guess this is the opening of the Lost and Rewound Storytime Hour. Storytime Hour featuring your hosts. Ah, we've made it into the, into the wonderful forest, and this is Jimmy Hoffman. And this is Alain Danziger. I am a dwarf. That's the, that's your dwarf voice. That's my dwarf voice. <laughs> I'm a dwarf. I'm a dwarf. Ah, please I, don't step on me. I cast fer- level five druid spell on you. Five? What would that do? I don't know. What level would it five do? druid spell? What would what would it do? You tell that's, me. You're you're the magic expert. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is it's not it's not specific enough. It, it's, it's it's just a druid just, spell. Yeah. It's so a, you make a tree, maybe, or something like that. I I, I make a, a tree. It was Earth Day recently, so you, so you know, you're druid and you help the world. I help. Well. Yes, magic should help the world. It shouldn't hinder the world. All druids are hippies at their core. You're profiling uh, fantasy characters now, huh? Well, yeah. That's okay. why they have, you know, alignments. You can easily <laughs> profile them. You're like, this guy is chaotic good. So, like, he's a nice guy, but watch him. Watch him out. Watch. He's, wa- kind, he's kind of a dick sometimes. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us here on Lost and Rewound. We are here every Thursday from 3 to 4 on Radio Free Brooklyn. If you wish to donate any money to keep us going for all this rabble-rousing you hear, we can accept all your donations directly at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge. We are non-for-profit, so tax-deductible, baby. Yeah, yeah, one of these days, uh, you know, charitable contributions, man. What, you know, this is, this could all come crashing down, man. And it's just from from listeners like you, yes, that if, we get to continue on. And if you donate quite enough, you could become a special person holding a tote bag. It's the uh, it's the official bag of someone who donated something to somewhere, or wear a hat, or give your grandmother a hat. Either way, <laughs> give your grandmother a hat. <laughs> Should have that should be a holiday. <laughs> give, give your grandmother a hat day. If you want Which to, is the newest thing we're going to have off from school. If you wish to be a sponsor for the show directly, you can do so at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash LAR, and then you can see our uh, friendly young mugs. Am I, was I friendly looking as a child? That's like a creepy thing to say about kids. They're friendly looking. Really? I don't know. They're kids, man. Okay. They look like kids. That's all it is. I'll, I'll, no, no, other, no other distinctions. I'll say it right now. <laughs> I looked friendly. But that's okay because you're talking about yourself. If you're talking about yourself, no, I look okay. like a little knife wielding maniac kid. I, I blame Brooklyn on that. <laughs> Lost and Rewound is uh, here every weekend. We do a lot of this old tape playing of the yesteryears. If you want to contribute something to the show yourself that you are interested in unearthing to the world, then you could do so at lostandrewound at gmail dot com. And please feel free to put in any accentuations of uh, uh, what in your email so that we know what kind of person we can expect. <laughs> yes, I want to know. Because if you are like, if you're crazier, you're more likely to be on the show. This is how it is. <laughs> we have a wonderful guest this week, so let's get right to it after this beautiful Casio beat. Yeah. 
Moss of uh, New York City fame, a musician, singer-songwriter, just recently got back from touring across Europe. No? No. <laughs> touring across <laughs> Asia. No? No. <laughs> touring across these great United States. Yes, and uh, just released an album, uh, Leave Your Desert Behind. Welcome, Robin Irene Moss, to the studio. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank this, you for having us. How exciting. You have your guitar with you today. I do. How long have you had that guitar for? This guitar I got maybe three years ago. Okay. Have you gone through a lot of instruments in your time as a musician, or you, you hold on to gear as long as you possibly can? I do. I do. I don't really go through a lot of instruments. I think my first guitar I received as a gift from my parents when I was about 16. I still have that guitar and use it. So there was no uh, like who moment at the end of your show where you're like, all right, um, I just played these like soft melodies but now it's time to destroy all my equipment no but you know i did accidentally smash that guitar when i was practicing one day is the most embarrassing way to hurt your instrument but i just hit it against my bed frame and the bottom of it kind of separated a little bit oh, and no. it still plays okay but it was one of those moments of like i will never forgive myself for this i where won't forgive you either where did you grow up <laughs> oh well um i was born in sri lanka and then my family moved to egypt and then we came to the States when I was about nine, and we have, and then we lived in Maryland, just north of D.C. Was music <laughs> impressed upon you before you moved to the States or after? I always loved music, and my mom has a beautiful voice and always sang to us, um, and she played the guitar a little bit, too. Um, so we always had music at home. My dad's a big opera buff, so we always listened to a lot of classical music and opera, and then my mom would listen to, like, Simon and Garfunkel, that era. So yeah. your mother was a little more nuanced in the West, uh, with or interested in Western music than your father. It sounds like I don't know about nuance. I mean, that was her preference. Yeah, no, that's but, what I'm trying to you say. You know, he he was real great on like cowboy music and the coasters and the mm. drifters, that kind of, like fifties doo wop kind of stuff. Yeah. So if it wasn't opera, it was doo wop. It seems like all the that ties that together is the power of vocals in music, pop music, uh, vocal music. Um, opera clearly was impressed upon you from an early age. Is, do you, does it still hold true to this day that you'll pop in some opera and it's nostalgic to listen to? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm well-versed in opera. I'm not a connoisseur, you know, but I love it. I really love listening to it. When was the last opera you were actually at? In February, I went oh. to see La Traviata, which was okay. Have you ever done a standing room at the opera? I have. I went when I was a freshman in college. I went to see Aida at the Met. Aida has a lot of personal significance because when I was a kid, when we lived in Egypt, they put on Aida every year outdoors in front of the pyramids. That's it's, gangster. It's just amazing. Thing. <laughs> and you're like super far away from the stage and you can barely see them even through opera glasses, which my dad always said was really a blessing because they never look like how they sound. But I remember being a kid and like wrapped up in a blanket in the middle of the desert watching Aida. So it was really yeah. special to go see it at the Met as an adult. Did you have any siblings that also shared your uh, love of music in that same variety? I have an older brother and sister, and they definitely both love music. You asked about my siblings, right? Is yes. That... And, and by did, I mean do. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is the past, and yes, of course. So your siblings, do they still share music uh, love the same way that you do? They, I don't if it's the same way that I do um, my sister is maybe the one who introduced me to a lot of more contemporary artists that I learned to really love 
I was such a little snob when I was a kid. Like I only listened to jazz and Motown. (laughs) (laughs) Like from when we moved to the States and I first heard Motown until probably near the end of high school, I only listened to Motown and jazz classics. And she was like, you're a little asshole. (laughs) Listen to Arcade Fire right now. (laughs) She she introduced me to a lot of indie groups that I still love and still listen to. And my brother's just pretty open-minded. So Mm. I think I heard music through him that I might not have otherwise. What was your first contemporary music concert to that effect? Bell and Sebastian. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. They're like a nine-piece band or something like that? At least, yeah. And this was this huge outdoor stadium in Maryland. At the time, it was called Meriwether Post Pavilion. I don't know what it's called now. And uh, we were, you know, there's a big, like, grass patch in the back, like those big stadiums have. And I just remember being completely overwhelmed by the concert experience. Like so back to first, back to standing yeah. room. The reason I brought that up before was I did standing room at the opera. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize you actually stand there <laughs> for the length of an the opera. Whole <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a suit. In uncomfortable shoes, and they give you like a leaning post, and they're not happy when you sleep on that leaning post. That's not like uh, accepted. But the trick, the, the trick is, is that you have to be really careful about the opportunity to actually take a seat. You're not mm-hmm. allowed to sit down until the curtain goes up. So in that split second, if you see a seat that's open. You could make a mad dash for an open seat. And I did that when I went to see a friend of mine do ensemble at the opera. I, I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me unless I were to look it up. But I must admit that it was a most pleasant experience to be seeing this opera sitting down the luck I had. <laughs> but fortunately, yeah, dude, it was but, brutal, man. It was brutal. But, I was dying. But fortunately for the people who ha- um, did not share my same luck, the opera happened to be really short. It was like maybe like an hour and change or so. It wasn't. No, that mine long. was like four hours, bro. It was brutal. Jimmy, I was were in, you wearing heels? Um, yeah, when you, I when was you in, say I was wearing stil- I was wearing stilettos, uncomfortable shoes, and, and my <laughs> finest for dress. Sure. And you know how it is when you got heels on. You feel it in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where you feel it. You're right. Well, when my I was with a friend at this opera, where we had standing room, and in fact, at the intermission, this kindly older couple left and offered us their seats. Yes. We so, have to get home because yeah. it's getting to be 6 p.m. It's true. I mean, that's what <laughs> happened. And then we ended up sitting in like row Q of the orchestra section at the Met. Nice. It was super cool. Nice. That was the only problem is that I was totally way far up and I could not see my friend for the life of me. He was just a speck. It's an experience <laughs> just being there, much less getting a chance to sit down. Isaac, if you're out there listening, uh, that was one experience that I'll never get again unless I have another friend who's in the opera. Because why would I go unless I, my mom was like, come with me and my, and, and your aunt yeah. See, that's exactly I was thinking back in my mind and I was like, why was I at the opera again? And I was like, oh, yeah, the only reason I would be at an event I didn't want to be at. I was standing there with a woman <laughs> that liked opera. <laughs> sure enough. The music that your sister impressed upon you mm-hmm. to get more into like the the current stuff, how old were you when that was impressed upon you? I want to say maybe like 14 or 15, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually start enjoying it hugely until I was maybe like 16 or 17, probably. And when did you write your first song? I think I was about 12. What made you start to write music? I had a lot of feelings. Did you? (laughs) I love love it. That is absolutely the perfect reason. I had so many feelings, and I always journaled off and on. 
which is almost as embarrassing to read those as to listen to the songs that I wrote at that time. Would you say that the journals that you kept, were they always musically inclined or was there stuff in there that was simply prose? The journals were mostly prose. I would say almost entirely prose until maybe the last five or six years, actually, when I started putting my songs in the journals. I would keep the songs separate because I was like a purist. Sure. And so I thought, well, I can't put my songs in my journals because what if I want to show someone the song and then they're going to see what's in my journal and they'll know that I'm in love with whoever I was in love with that week. (laughs) Did that conundrum ever come up? Well, I've learned to keep my songs on a separate page from the journal (laughs) entries. (laughs) So I keep it separate enough that I could show someone a page in the journal that has a song without revealing that I may have written about them on the next See, page. I think I'm, I'm glad that I, I don't have actual recorded evidence of all the women that I've been in love with. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not, like, written out on paper, like, oh, no, because, like, I can remember back, but I know that, like, when I pass away, that knowledge will be lost forever. <laughs> yeah, I think about, like, if I were to find success someday and then die and people were reading my journals and they'd just be like, oh, no. Yeah. Like, this is really <laughs> Wait bad. a second. Are we talking about the same rabbit I read most? Right. A very famous singer? <laughs> when I look at old poetry of mine, I'm very grateful that I had the gumption to be super vague and verbose in the specificities <laughs> so that there was no specificity at all and you could basically read this stuff and be like this is just a bunch of airy fairy bullshit and i want names i want actual names how long ago did you write these poems my friend if you have these poems you might have to bring them in and read them on the show Uh, it's one of the reasons actually to this day and maybe you both can speak upon this as one uh jimmy you being somebody who has recently got into poetry and uh robin irene somebody who's been writing now for over 10 years effectively With writing stuff that you are energized by and then letting time go by and then you look back at it and it's not to say that it's cringeworthy, but it represents something about who you were back then that doesn't reflect who you are now. And so when you read it, it's not to say that it's like embarrassing. It's like, what made me want to write that? What was going through my head? Why didn't I offer specifics? How can I better educate myself? about who that kid was or who that student was. Because half of the stuff in my writing portfolio at college, I was just writing on vapors. I know what you mean. I definitely have looked over old stuff that I've written, and it's been vague, and I knew I left it vague so that people couldn't uncover like my true intention. Yeah. And then I'm looking back on it, and I go, what was my intention? I don't know it now. Like, I am a different person. So, yeah, it's, it's like trying to crack that nut of, like, who was that person Well, I, re- I remember doing things when I was writing about boys in particular, which is probably the majority of what I wrote about, the things I was too embarrassed to actually talk to any human about. I didn't write their names. I just wrote, like he with a capital H, like God or something, as if they were holy. I mean, and I'm not like I'm not religious. But he, and, was, on, he was on a pedestal. But so. it was like, oh well, if I say he with a capital H, I know which one I'm talking about. It is interesting to go back and read them and look at my journals now and see some of the same things there, and some things that are more mature. Or sometimes in newer journals, you'll see passages where I'll say like the same exact kind of thing I would have said when I was 13, but then I'll be like. I can't believe I feel that way or that's so ridiculous. I need to get over myself after it, correcting that feeling. I think it's easier when you're 13 to just feel those feelings really fully and not be edited so much in them. You haven't learned yet to um, learn so much that you should hide who you are. Yeah, you're in the process of it. I feel like that's why middle school is so hard. You're learning how to tailor your emotions to what society expects of you largely. 
what pressures did you have other than the boy that you liked? Was there a <laughs> lot of parental pressures about what you were to do with your life? I mean, my parents are pretty understanding. I am like sort of a struggling singer songwriter right now. So they're like mostly pretty cool about that, um, which is, you know, real credit to them. Not that like if I decided to go to grad school and become a anything, they wouldn't be really excited. But they're pretty supportive, awesome parents. I always put a lot of pressure on myself academically. So there's a lot in those journals about homework. Sure. <laughs> I was always like that kid who went to school and then went to play practice for three hours after school and did, did homework for like five hours when I got home. You were involved in musical theater? Musical oh, was, theater and theater theater. There was no doubt in my mind that that was who you were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just I just did a lot of homework. Did you go to undergrad for theater or music or something of the variety? I did. I studied acting at NYU Tisch. Do you look at those experiences as uh, helpful or hindering in terms of where you are now with your creative output? Oh, they're absolutely formative. I learned who I was in acting school. It was a really difficult college experience. I would not say that I enjoyed it or that I was happy, but I learned a lot. And I came out of it with much more concrete knowledge of who I wanted to be. And almost as soon as I graduated, I stopped acting. It kind of crushed all of the joy that I had like for acting writing. out of me. It's like me with writing. To, so the same thing. You, just, yeah. you need a break because you've been completely wrung dry pretty much. Mm -hmm. so, I, I feel it, like that's going to be the, uh, the, the, new, the next level of like the secret hidden Robin Irene Moss files is to find all your old acting reel and stuff like that and all your old acting clips. People will be like, we know, man, when you're famous, you'd be like, wow, you can actually see her like acting in this like, is assuming college. she's documented her yeah, there's well, not much of it. I mean, like, you must it have was something filmed. Theater. Oh, it's mostly theater. Okay. Um, but the people must have filmed that in the back. It might, there might be. I'm I always curious as to what, if in middle school, people were recording oh. with the musicals back then. There are some recordings <laughs> from middle school. There are. I mean, I didn't go to, I didn't go to acting school. I went to film school as a production major, and you can still see me in six or seven different movies playing mostly drug dealer and gangbanger characters mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. because of me being uh, the token Hispanic in a very Irish town. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there are many recordings. I was so focused on my program and on my schoolwork. And because it was NYU, you had the conservatory training and also an academic course load. I don't think I took on many projects that were outside of the theater realm. Any additional productions that I was in were all theater-based because that was my passion, really. However, it would seem apparent that your catharsis came with having your guitar and being able to play music even just in the privacy of your dorm and have that outlet to let out a little bit of that frustration that you probably had on an academic level. Yeah. You know, honestly, until very recently, I forgot that I wrote songs earlier in my life. Like, I remember writing them once I graduated because some of those I still play. But I totally forgot that I'd started writing songs when I was 12. Mm -hmm. And I forgot that I wrote them through college. And I have these memories of sitting in my dorm room with my sweet mates or whatever and singing songs that I wrote and then requesting different songs that I wrote. And loving it. And I just, I don't know why I never really shared it beyond that context until after I finished school. You were there to be an actress. So right. in your mind, making that something like that serious step forward and saying, wait a second, like this is not just going to be a thing I do with my friends in my room and like hang out. Yeah. Doing. And there were hints to it along the way too. Like my third year of school, we did these larger productions, a big deal your third year, you get to like act for real and I got like shitty roles in the plays. <laughs> it was like this is the culmination of your 
you know, acting training and you've spent all this time and money on this program. And I was cast in the Greek chorus of the Trojan women. And I was like, are you kidding me? But then I ended up because I was in the small role, I ended up music directing the show and I wrote music for several of the odes that the Greek chorus performs. And we ended up singing them as like this spiritual with five part acapella harmonies. And it was amazing. It was amazing. Do you ever see yourself as somebody who could write a musical? I think about it. I don't know if I'd want to do it alone, maybe as a collaborative project. Yeah, that would be that would be really fun. The majority of your artistry as a musician and as a singer-songwriter, though, has been mostly on your own, uh, although it seems apparent from the clips that I've seen that collaborating is of huge importance to you. I play with my band pretty infrequently, and there are rotating members. So there are a couple of mainstays. Mike O'Malley, who plays the bazooki and sings with me. Is... Wait, 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 time out. What? The bazooki? A bazooki. Yes. Yeah, so sort of, could... It's sort of like a bazooka with no rocket. <laughs> not quite um it's a it's it as he's described it sort of a really long necked mandolin okay i just love the sound of that instrument and he's the only person i know who plays it and he plays beautifully so he's been in my band pretty much always james margolis who's my mind-bending lead guitarist has been there throughout and um, my pretty consistently uh, with me drummer is andrew nesbitt and he has like a million projects and he's amazing in all of them it's rotating membership, so it's not a concrete band formation, I guess. So it's like the gorillas and no cartoons. <laughs> as as the, the band leader, effectively, how do you then reach out or um, keep yourself open to these collaborations with these people that are, were you friends with them before or you were introduced to them through friends? Every person is a different way that we came together. And like, for example, there are two women that I sing with in a trio, Dee Gavin and Katie Geringer. And I met Dee because I happened to be at one of her shows at a place that I frequented and was just like, you're amazing. Please sing with me. And then we did. Katie Geringer, I met at, I think, an open mic and she was excited too. And then the three of us got together and we said, oh my gosh, we should be a trio. And so they've sung with my band too. And like James Margolis, we dated for like a year and a half. So we just kind of ended up playing together and then he was in my band and he still is and it works out great. But what I've been working on recently is I have this YouTube channel and it's called Robin Irene Originals mm -hmm. and um, I post two videos every week. So one video is an original song, a new original song every week and then the other video is a cover or a collaboration and I've done a lot of collaborations on that Thursday video it's really forced me to work with people that I might not necessarily have otherwise. Forces you to go outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. So like I, I host an open mic in Brooklyn and there are a bunch of people from the open mic that have come and been on my channel with me. And I don't know if I would have collaborated with them outside of that context of the open mic if I hadn't had the channel. If I hear someone perform that I really like, I'll just approach them after their show and say, why don't you come and make a video with me if you're interested? And that's led to collaborations. Something tells me that you had this idea in college to do this, but you just <laughs> didn't know enough people. Because YouTube was certainly, back in the day that you were in college, a, a thing that you could upload yourself singing and playing guitar into a camera and then upload it for the world to see. Did that ever come or was there hesitation? I, did, I wasn't convinced that I was good at anything <laughs> at that point. I was just kind of down on myself, I think. And that also came from the acting training where you have people constantly every day being like, you suck, you suck, you suck. Mm. Oh, my God, and the competition. And yeah, the, uh, and, yeah, and I just I didn't really think of myself as a musician. I thought, like, I'm an actress, and I also sometimes play music. 
the idea for the YouTube channel didn't come until, I guess, a little over a year ago. Hmm. I've been playing out since 2013. It's been this amazing experience. I've toured in Germany and all over Europe really three times. I'm headed back in July for another tour in Germany. Fantastic. Thank you. This summer I toured across the U.S. and I've played in several bands and it's it's been this incredible journey, but I also don't feel like I'm so far ahead of where I started in terms of the reach that I have and the effect that my music can have. Just getting into people's ears, that's the thing that I struggle with. I love the writing and I love the performing, but the business side of it I have a hard time with. And so I had a conversation with a friend who knows a little bit about music business, studied music business, I think. And he basically said, in the modern world of music, as an indie solo singer-songwriter, you basically need a gimmick. Unless you have a connection or uh, some way to get heard through people you know, you need a gimmick. And I was, think I was thinking about that because I think it's really unfortunate, but I don't think that he's wrong. I thought, what's a gimmick? that doesn't feel like a gimmick and that's true to myself as an artist? What's something that if someone heard it about me, they wouldn't think, wow, that's really cheesy. They might think, wow, that's cool that that person did that, you know? Um, so you can have a gimmick that's not like that girl playing the violin and the hula hoops and the subway stations. I find that depressing. Is that um, a real thing? It's a, yeah, it sounds like a real thing. Yeah, yeah, she plays the violin and, and she hula hoops and it's just like, I, I'm just like, is, there, is she a good enough violinist that she does need the hula hoop, or is she like an okay violinist and she needs the hula hoop to bring it all up? She's she's like all right. You, better, you, pause, you pause. She's better than okay, but she's not great. <laughs> she's better than okay, but she's not great. Because there was this old guy playing violin in the subway the other day that was like killing it, and people throwing money at him. Mm -hmm. He didn't need a hula hoop. I, yeah. I definitely felt that. I thought about what my gimmick would be, and the thing I kept coming back to was that I write really prolifically, and part of that is from journaling all the time. But I generally write at least a song a week, Good. like no matter what. Hey, um, that's not the way to always, do it. but like sometimes more, sometimes less, and it evens out. Prince wrote a song every day. I mean, really, honestly, like he wrote every single day. Yeah, you have to be like the Prince Vault with yeah. all his unheard music that hasn't been released. You have to be consistent, and and it doesn't have to be consistent compared to other people. It just has to be consistent within you. And you set yourself with a goal. And as long as you keep on with that goal and you fulfill your obligations to yourself, there's no one telling you you need to do more. If you've successfully managed to take care of what you are looking to take care of for your own uh, artistic integrity, then I think you've accomplished something. Thanks. I was going to ask you if busking was ever something that you had considered doing. I have busked. <laughs> It's not really ideal for the kind of music that I make. It tends to be quiet and lyric-driven. Yeah, I was yeah. Thinking, the music's a little soft. It's hard for it in, in a loud city-type situation unless you have a quiet area to do it right. with yeah. amplification. I, I've had good success busking um, as part of a like a trio or a quartet in Europe. <laughs> cool. Um, in maybe smaller towns where people are excited to stop and listen to music, mm -hmm. and it's also legal. Um, but in New York, I have not had good success with it. It's, it's just tough. a little quiet yeah. for that. It's a little tough. And in some of the city, like in New Orleans or something like that where my sister lives, mm -hmm. uh, I know that busking is uh, 
it's kind of competitive over mm-hmm. there. But again, like it, not everywhere can be like that where it's a little more forgiving for musicians. I want to actually uh, at this time take a little time for you to play something of this quiet lyrical nature that Jimmy <laughs> teased. Uh, unless it isn't like that. I don't know. Yeah. It, I what was... did you have in mind to play? Well, well if you, you guys can't see it right now, but right now she has an electric guitar, <laughs> six pedals, and there's like literally sparks are going to shoot out of her shoulder pads in a minute. I am, they are really big shoulder pads, so you wonder what's in there. Yeah. I mean, some kind of like firework is what we hope. Streamers. Anyway, you were, <laughs> uh, the song you have prepared for us. Yeah, I was thinking I wanted to do this one because I know it's one of Jimmy's favorites. This is a song that's on my album, uh, Leave Your Desert Behind. It's about that feeling of your heart being too big for your chest because it's so full. And for me, that's the moment when I write a song or create art was when I, I feel like my heart is just bursting out of me. Let's take a listen to Robin Irene Moss here on Lost in Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn. Cumbersome heart, far too enlarged for the cavity it's resting in. Now gravity is testing it. Strung like a harp, but always in minor keys, weaving shut its openings with melodies on rusted strings, falling into the belly of the feast. Crawling. In circles of southwest, northeast Cumbersome heart Rigged like a motor To chug along with energy From what the earth was borrowing Never quite sharp Bending its way to eternities of wedding stones Which wear it down past blood and bone Driving into the belly of the feast Driving in circles of southwest Northeast Bursting with blood But the arteries Carry no air There's a jam In the veins As they strain To replace What is there Growing stagnant and stale Cumbersome heart Painted with brush strokes Like fingerprints and drippings down the can Undefined art Tripping at the borders Constructed to Assigned to it A label for confining it Melting Into 
the belly of the feast Pelting effigies with hardening concrete Bursting with blood but the arteries carry no air There's a gem in the veins as they strain to replace What is there growing stagnant and stale? Falling into the belly of the feast Crawling through the jigsaw to extract a piece Gorgeous. Lost in Rowound, Radio Free Brooklyn. We are joined this hour by Robin Irene Moss. That was really, that was stunning. Really, really, truly stunning. Thank you. It was one of my favorites. I'm glad. I kind of can't believe you remembered. That Do you see me over there, like <laughs> looking tortured on the side, like. Ugh. Now, when someone tells me they like a specific one of my songs, I hold on to that. You know, <laughs> she remembers. Like, oh, she she remembers. I'm gonna keep this in my back pocket in case I ever need to break this person down emotionally. You know, if if I didn't know better, I would say that that has a tone that would kill at an open mic. The room would just fall <laughs> silent and enthralled at the sheer power of subtlety that that song provides. Thank you. That has happened. It's not. It's not the. It's not, not the with, go. Not not the always yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. But you um, know what? There are certain musicians where people never quiet down when they play. Mm. And um, that's not a great thing. You know? Yeah. You notice that. Yeah. The best musicians, everyone else goes, oh. You get this look on your face just like, what's what's going on right now? What am I witnessing <laughs> at this moment? Uh, and there's just, I think there's something that's uh, difficult to describe how people are drawn to music. People are drawn to dance. You know? Your emotions being expressed in a way that is uh, difficult to describe, but you know, you, you want to tell people about how you feel, but you can't exactly use words. And even if you could use words, sometimes it's like, that's why people use poetry. It's like, I can't really tell you how I feel. I, I want to use words, but I have to twist them up a bit because regular conversation and, uh, you know, social niceties, you know, are, don't allow me to show you how strong I'm feeling. So let me put it out there for you in a way. Well, and I think open mics are a really beautiful context for interacting. People allow themselves to be vulnerable in a way that you don't normally get to see, I think. You know, you're showing your work and you're hoping for this supportive audience. And I mean, it's a crapshoot most of the time. It, it is. And the open mic that I host. Um, Where is that? That's at the Branded Saloon. Oh, you're the one who hosts the Branded Saloon. Yes. Jimmy yes. has talked much about this one. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I host it with my friend Zach Messick, mm -hmm. um, also an amazing musician. His also a, a touring pirate. Yes. Well, his band is called Bug Street. You can check that out. No, too. when I say touring pirate, though. Yeah, he was he, in a, he was, a he was pirate was musical. Uh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> and they toured. They toured. Back. Yeah. So, so we we host this together. They sing and, the shanties. Yeah. I'm like so, holding back so hard to not go pirate right now. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, we're the interruption. Uh, so Zach and I host this open mic, and we've it's really important to us for it to be a listening room. Mm. Um, and Branded Saloon is a really 
awesome it's a, venue for yeah. that because they have this back room that's kind of separate from the bar. And the seats are open up to the stage very well. I've been there only once, and my understanding is they got a door that divides at least so that you're, there's no noise from the front area. It's like it, it, pretty it, much, it, yeah. It'd be a curtain. <laughs> you couldn't fucking wait, could you? <laughs> it had to come out sooner or later. I, I, I was, you know what? I was like, you know what? I'm not going to throw puns at them. I'll just do the voice. <laughs> That's so cool. How long has the open mic been going on for then? It's been like like four or five months, I think. So it's the middle two Wednesdays of every month, or mm-hmm. three if there happen to be five Wednesdays the in the sand, month. The Sandwich the, Wednesdays. The Sandwich if, Wednesdays. If yeah, that's what we call it. San- the Sandwich Wednesday open mic. They're all the meat. Of mm-hmm. the sandwich, you know, or the th- cheese, th- or yeah, the beans, you, or whatever yeah. you put in your sandwich. What? <laughs> the people with beans and sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, know. wait, <laughs> what sandwich? Well, are we I guess, talking about? Well, like, would you call something in a tortilla a sandwich? I wouldn't call a burrito a sandwich. What um, about like a quesadilla? Yeah, it could be. If you call a panini a sandwich, according to I saw something on TV, uh, this thing on Food Network, as food fact or fiction. Mm-hmm. According to tax revenue. Burritos do count as sandwiches. Really? Yeah. You know, I get it because of like the fact that a burrito, like the shell, is the delivery device. Like you use that in order to help you eat it, and that and that you and you consume that too. Like mm-hmm. with the burger, like you need like or the sandwich, like the bread helps you to hold it and you eat it too. Yep. I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. So like every good sandwich, uh, there are the, some of the. Some <laughs> I like the sandwich si- sandwich science. So this you is sandwich <laughs> science right here on Lost in Rewind. You haven't guys. even you haven't even <laughs> let me Brooklyn. You haven't even let me finish the. Never mind. Wait, like what is like any good sandwich? Like any good sandwich, the sum of the parts, like the like this. <laughs> uh, I'm working on it. Okay, but wait for it. Wait for it. You you build up the sandwich, <laughs> the different parts of the sandwich, and in order to make a successful lost and rebound sandwich, we have to include old clips. Uh, that was, that was good. yeah. You built up to good. that uh, that analogy. Good transition. Um, I, I, and uh, let's uh, yeah. So that said, <laughs> let's do it then. Oh, Without yeah. further ado. Without further ado, we need a little. Actually, we need some context here. First of all, I, I should note that this is a first for Lost and Rewound. It's a digital... high tech. Al- hey, how old is this? This Olympus digital voice recorder or whatever, right? Um, voice recorder. Digital voice recorder. DS80? I'm trying to read it. Sorry. But at any rate, it seems like it's been through some rough times. I get, I'm guessing it's from about 05 since the first recordings on there are, I think, 05, 06. Mm-hmm. So we're looking 11 years ago. And tell us a little bit about this first track we're going to hear. It's track 11. I think this recording is from when I was 16, but it's a song that I think it's the first song that I ever wrote, actually. And I think I wrote it when I was about 12. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm remembering it right, I told you before, I'm not religious, but it kind of sounds like a Jesus song. Like, like it sounds like it sounds kind of like. It's um, really rooting for like faith in like like something, and it's and it and it's. I'm just I'm I'm already so embarrassed. Just yeah. Let's do it. Sometimes I'm sad. I just wanna die. So I sit in my room. Sometimes I cry or I sigh, and I remember everything. And when I'm really down, I sing. 
There's too much love and love to live, hate and too little time to be debating over this little tiny thing. And then I smile and I sing, love, life and life loves you. It makes everything you say and everything you do. When you cry in despair, smell the joy in the air and laugh. Don't shed a tear. Don't let anybody hear that you are down. Just drown in joy. In joy. I try not to let anybody know when I feel so cold I'm a blizzard of snow I forget my feelings forget my cares and sink into my silent prayers that if I love life life will love me will make everything I hear and everything I see if I love it enough I will know that I have the power to melt the snow so I love life and life loves me makes everything I hear and everything everything I see into laughter joy and glee and this is all you see because I love life good god that was beautiful wow. Joni Mitchell-esque <laughs> there um so I got I, I was wondering from that song what does joy smell like like what is this what is the smell of joy I, I feel like Mountain Dew not like the soda but like the actual dew that comes from a mountain that's the smell of joy. I, I can't sure. tell if you're asking, like, probably what I would have thought at twelve. Joy smells like, or uh, now? both. Let's hear both. Okay, when I was twelve, probably I would have had no actual answer for you. It was it was metaphorical. Yeah, it was just like this is a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. It smells like jo- the it smells like joy. Smells like teen spirit, baby. Yeah, yeah. Teen spirit doesn't smell like anything. What are you no, talking it's about? A lot of bo, dude. I'm, oh, I'm sure true. I just would have been like, you know, like, like, it just a, it's a thing. Um, now I would say, okay, my parents have this wood, wooden door. The front door of their house is wooden, and then there's a glass sort of, slot, you know, like screen door, but it has glass in it. Like in a vest, like a vestibule. Sure, yeah. Um, except it's it's just the front of the. We get it. Like yeah, door. Get it. So, um, <laughs> anyway, because of the glass and then the wood in the summertime when the sun hits it the door just smells really strongly of wood and like there's a certain kind of varnish on it mm. and when you walk into their house it always smells like that and it just smells like sunshine to me so to me that's the smell of happiness. smells like home see i, I see I, I, smell, I, smells that's like that's an Amy man line thing. actually from uh coming up close by till tuesday coming up close everything smells like or sounds like everything sounds like or smells like I've already screwed my my own. <laughs> smells like happiness. Every, everything smells like coming home. Yeah, like sm- smells oh, like home is definitely way. a thing, and smell and, and home can have that sense of happiness equally. I get that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How come you don't sing that song anymore? I hate you. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. And do we need any context for this second song? Um, I think I wrote this a bit later. I was like, I I remember feeling like I was a poetic genius when I wrote this. A poetic genius? Yeah, I was like, oh, good. I, I, goody, goody, goody. I've created something really special here, and um, oh, clearly sure. it's it's a bit sultrier. Sultry? Oh. Yeah, it's sultry. Oh. So we've gone from Joni Mitchell, and this is going to be more Janis Joplin. Maybe so. Oh boy. Maybe so. All the 
the smoky spirals clouding up the air maybe i could read them maybe if i care i can't see the difference from a to b to c nobody will tell me no one feels the need i am lost in forests filled with dark and angry beasts and I'm trying to find the light, but the sun is topped by trees. Can't anybody help me? Can't you tell me what to do? I'm all alone in crowds of people. Help does not come through. I am left here standing, blind against the sun. Just a pile of bleaching bones picked by carrion. Pull me from the shadows, drench me back to life. Help kill my confusion to murder all my strife. I am lost in forests filled with dark and angry beasts. And I'm trying to find the light, but the sun is stopped by trees. Can't anybody help me? Can't you tell me what to do? I'm all alone in crowds of people. Help me to break through. Help me to break through. Jimmy, are you crying? Uh, <laughs> that song got, it got to me. I know it's um, effective. Yeah, I just... um, I. Can can someone tell her what to do? Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, she's in the forest and she's being chased by dark and angry bees. Can I just that, point out that, that it's amazing. supposed to be beasts? Beasts. And beasts is a hard word to say. Uh huh. And I did play this for my boyfriend before coming here, and he thought it was bees as well. It really <laughs> Sounded like bees. And he has persisted since hearing this in calling me Dark and Angry Bee as like a pet name, which I'm like, that cannot continue. I mean, the fact, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm crying more. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just imagined you running through the forest. Chased by a swarm of bees. bees dark bees, not any bees. Well, they're evil. They're dark and they're angry. Me, yeah. I, I, I'm just envisioning oh the scene of, with my girl where uh, it's uh, Anna Chomsky oh, and Macaulay Culkin. Just running away from the bees. That scene oh. traumatized me. Oh, I mean, I cried and cried. Yeah. Okay. So, like, okay. like, like Jimmy is now, except with uh, sadness, sadness instead of humor. Yeah. So, uh, let's let's say then, <laughs> let's say then you're being chased by beasts. It, <laughs> in in the respect that these beasts so, are not dark so and they're not, angry, beasts. they're not bees. They're beasts. Um, then what? Then why? Who are these beasts? Have is you ever metaphorical beasts as well? Have you ever read the Minpins? No, sounds familiar though. Like miniature pinchers. No. Stop! Stop thinking of dog over the here. This min- guy's always I thinking of dog. Uh, I want to say it's Roll Doll. Okay. I think it's Roll Doll, it but it's an, doll. I've never heard of this book by Roll Doll. But it's a it's a picture book. Um, mm. it's a long picture book. It has these beautiful illustrations. It's about these tiny people that live in trees in the forest, and you're not supposed to go in this forest because there are crazy creatures there. Also, sounds like Roll Doll. Right. And um, this one little boy wanders into the forest and ends up um being sort of rescued from one of these creatures by the minpins and they like they live in the trees and they have these special boots that stick to the trees like because they have to get away from these creatures i kind of imagine the 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 creatures that are illustrated in that book 
because they're it's basically like you see this kind of angry cloud of smoke with like red eyes, mm. but you know it's really dangerous. It sounds like Keebler elves in forestry. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Raw doll. It is raw doll. Uh, I had to see what these things look like because yeah. uh, I like raw doll. What's the name of the creature? Minpins is, is correct. But the but the like the monster. Oh, the monster. It's like the it's like the snarling rogaloff or something something like Which that. Which isn't like, a very sexy word to try and come up with a rhyme. Yeah, no. Yeah, chased by dark and angry angry snarling. The wang doodle. The wang doodle. The Are horn swagglers, snog wagglers, mm-hmm. and the vermicious canids. The vermicious canids. Those were the ones canids? that were like that were the worst of all is the terrible blood sucking, tooth plucking, stone chuckling spitler mm-hmm. who chases his prey while glowing clouds of hot smoke pour out of his nose and then swallows them up in one go. If, if it isn't Doctor mm-hmm. Seuss, it's Roald Dahl for Roald the Dahl, best yeah. for the best names of creatures. Yeah, I mean the I, vermicious I, I, canids. I, I read all those Roald Dahl books, even the one where he talked about. Being brought up in that uh, formative school and getting beat with a ruler. Well, that's based on his life. Well, yeah, I know that was that was the one that was the the least childlike. R- R- <laughs> Roald Dahl is significant as an author, and much like any other writer, he was no different in having a really fucked up personal life, mm-hmm. and it did not really reflect per se in his writing unless you like dug deep and realized, oh, there's some like deep seated issues going on, like with Matilda's family yeah well you also think i mean i heard this i i don't actually have any evidence to back this up like i read somewhere that roald Dahl didn't like children and at first i was like that's absurd because he writes children's stories but then really horrible things happen to children in every single one of his books they are every all, single one they're all horribly mistreated and abused so it's not like too far off that like, yeah i made, all, I made a lot of factory. people mm-hmm. made a lot of people where their witches you know, yeah, their career is definitely something that they don't necessarily enjoy a large portion of it. Now, we need to hear this clip. We this ne- is uh, potentially the most embarrassing one of Supposedly, all. Supposedly? It's so, track one. Oh, on yeah. What I'll say is, um, as we were talking about the sort of middle school mindset, and I think when you're writing songs, when you're about that age, you tend to lean towards experiences that you have not had because grown-up problems seem like they would be more dramatic or relatable and this is an example of a song that i wrote about who and what and like definitely not my life experience but i think at the time i was like yeah this is how real life is and what if i felt that way so um (laughs) oh man this is exciting i used to give out second chances when people told me they were sorry i believed them and forgave I don't know what has happened. I can't do that anymore. No apologies for sure. I used to wait for guys to call me. To tell me that I was the one and only girl that they adore. Now I don't give out my number. Don't want to hear what they say. I give all my chances away. I never put my trust in anyone. That didn't work for me before. Cause I was left alone and hard. Broken tears, sold my wounds and make them so. Oh, I remember when he loved me. 
He told me that I was his darling, honey, sweetheart, that and more. But he said that to some others, my trust he chose to ignore. So I walked out the door. But still his love was all I thought about. So I kept coming back for more. I gave him chances he did not deserve. He broke me then and I'm still torn. And I'm still torn. Now I don't want to think of romance. Can't stand the thought of being took for granted, cheated, or ignored. So don't feel bad when I tell you, you're not what I'm looking for. I appreciate all your praises, but I don't want love anymore. I never put my trust in anyone that didn't work for me before. Cause I was left alone. Tears soak my wounds and make them so make them so Angsty. I like how you're like, alright, I'm gonna get this one in the can so that when I do have a really bad breakup, I'll have a song <laughs> pre written for it. <laughs> Very significant to be hearing all of these three because uh Generally speaking, you would feel like there is a variety. And ultimately, yes, there is certainly a variety in tone and general lyricism. But the largest takeaway I got from hearing all these three is is that, lyrics aside, your voice is magnificent. You have always sang really well, clearly. Thanks. So it just was a matter of time before you felt confident enough in the words that came out of that mouth versus uh, that of this time of which you were just sort of like it's a private yourself, uh, only you can listen to these lyrics and uh, judge whether or not this is something that you want to perform for somebody else. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. It was hard to listen to these, like, for the vocal element, too, for oh, me. Oh, yeah. No, we were watching your face. Um, I, you know, I, I never had, like, voice lessons, but I was in... Um, really? But I, but I was in choruses, like, in, like, middle school and high school. I was in chorus. So, you know, you hear that I, like, don't pronounce any of my R's at the end of words and, like, oohs are all like ooh because that that's what you learn to do as a member of a chorus that in the context of a pop song or a folk song like it's like not really like it just sounds weird and uncomfortable which it was for me <laughs> well I, the only reason why i'm ragging on you extra is because um i guess of how far you've come <laughs> since Thanks, then Jimmy. you know so I, I mean if you were still there i wouldn't stick it to you but you're not i have to i guess take a step back and think that if I, as someone who works with children now, if I heard a 15, 16-year-old singing a song like that, as an adult now, I probably would be very encouraging of them. Even though as an adult, it being myself, I'm mortified. Um, if it were anyone else and they were, you know, a child or a teenager in that capacity, I'd Have probably... All, all the elements are there. You just need to put it in the right direction you know? yeah but i definitely remember my sister walking into the room when i was practicing one of these songs and being like you should never never sing <laughs> you should never she, write she's, music she's kicking herself now i'm sure well she she likes my music now actually she's a big fan she came to one of my shows when i first started playing out and she was like whoa you don't suck anymore 
<laughs> like, thank you. Does she tell her friends to go check you out whenever you perform? She does. She's like, she's um, a big proponent of my music. Besides the Wednesday open mic, when could people be able to see you perform live? I have a couple shows coming up. I'm playing Memorial Day weekend at Silvana, which is a cool place up in Harlem. Um, I think it's the Sunday of that weekend. I'm at like, the 28th, I want to say. Um, so I'm playing that night as a solo thing. And then on June 7th, I'm singing with my band at the Way Station. Excellent. Um, and that'll be with full three-part harmonies and everything. And that's in a night of music with uh, three other musicians that I really like. So that that would be a cool one to check out. And other than that, you have the YouTube page, youtube.com slash... Robin Irene Originals. Robin mm-hmm. Irene Originals. Mm-hmm. And then you also have robinirenemoss.com mm-hmm. where people could look at your pretty face and uh, <laughs> and links to other stuff as well other than just the YouTube page. And yeah, robinirenemoss.com has... It has links to YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, my mailing list... Um, um, it'll have my upcoming tour dates when I um, have them more solidified and um, bio, all, all the things. Excellent. Robin Irene Moss here on Lost and Rewound. This was really a fantastic hour. Thank you so much. Thanks yeah, a lot. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot for, for coming me. through. We really appreciate having you. And this is fun. Th- yeah. Hey, come back again anytime. We uh, certainly at this point, we could get like a, like a singer-songwriter hour when we just have all the folks that uh, we have come in here with a guitar and just like have a jam session. I know, it's funny because I was just thinking that how like now I feel like I want to start to tell people that that's like part of our format. We also have, you know, aspiring musicians that come in and play in the studio. I feel very inspired after all the aspirational uh, talk this hour. And uh, again, if you are inspired by what you heard to dig into your archives and to your treasure troves, Again, that email address to reach out to us is lostandrewound at gmail.com. That's all I got, Jimmy. No mas. No mas. We'll see you next week, all right, for our 50th Radio Free Brooklyn episode. Again, uh, my name is uh, Jimmy Hoffman. And my name is uh, Elon Danzakar. And uh, you've been listening again to Lost and Rewound right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.